right. 21 years of Good Friday messages. You clap, but I have to tell you, some people, as I've said many times, just come at Christmas and Easter only, maybe Good Friday, and it's like the same story told 21 different ways. And you're like, you got something new, cowboy? Let's go. It's, you know what? The, the same old story that's been told for thousands of years is just as profound today as when it happened, because it happens afresh in my heart every Good Friday. I was laboring over the term Good Friday. I remember being a young Christian and going to a Good Friday service and wondering, as I saw the minister go through the details of the crucifixion, thinking to myself, what's good about today? I remember watching The Passion, and it was you know almost three hours of just a blood fest, and I was telling a friend of mine earlier today, I, I've only watched it once, I can't do it again. It's not like something I get a bag of popcorn and sit down and watch it. It's, for anyone who's ever endured PTSD, you, you don't wanna relive it. You think of World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans and Korean War veterans and those who've been in Afghanistan and Iraq and those who have suffered the last thing they want to do is relive the trauma. I saw enough. I know what he endured. I know why he had to endure it. I know that he didn't do it out of obligation. I know that the nails didn't hold him to the cross because it was his love for us. And I, I remember thinking to myself in that service, why? Why do they call it Good Friday? I think this works, let me see. Yeah, there we go. Why do we call it Good Friday? And I, I was uh, sharing with my wife, kind of taking a look at this concept of good, and thinking about today. If you look in the Bible, no matter which translation, and I, I came to this conclusion as I searched diligently, you'll not find the words Good Friday. You don't find the words Christmas either, or Trinity, but they're critical components of Christendom. The general definition that I found in Webster's Dictionary of Good Friday, you can find Good Friday defined in the dictionary as the Friday before Easter annually observed to commemorate the crucifixion of Christ. You think, <laughs> what is good about that? How can this be good? I tried to clean it up a little bit, but there's no way around it. How can this be good? Most painful death ever devised by man. Slow, miserable. Every moment is painful, you die by suffocation. If they're merciful, they break your legs, your femur bone, which they say is the most painful so that you can no longer push up on your legs to breathe as you pull yourself up on the nails, exhaustion suffocates you. Every breath is tedious and painful. They elevate you so that the animals don't eat you as the blood drips to the ground and attracts them. 
They didn't just crucify him. They shredded him to hamburger meat, cat of nine tails, nine flat leather straps dipped in water and the ends were tied with metal or glass shards that they would slap the back and stick and then the metal would dig or the glass and then rip the flesh to the bone. In the fortress Antonio, they beat him. They tied his hands behind his back. They put a cloth over his face. And they punched him and they said, prophesy who hit you as they, they played a game called the king's game where they mocked him and they put him in a purple robe and then took a crown of thorns with three inch thorns that are found in the Middle East and just dug that into his skull. They pulled his beard out of his face. They beat him so heavily that the scripture says his own mother wouldn't have recognized him. They called it the Via Dolorosa because after the beating, after the mocking, after the bloodletting, they placed this massive beam on his back and he had to walk to his own death. He collapsed. Simon the Cyrenian helped him carry it. He had to get to Golgotha. Why? Because of you and me. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost from our original design by the systemic poison of sin coursing in the veins of all who are present in the hearing of my voice. Sin separating us from our creator, the only creatures in all of creation who have committed cosmic treason and disobeyed. The penalty for that is outlined all throughout history is death. Yet man has devised his own way, tried to live life apart from the one who designed everything we know. We live in a world of matter. We can't even fathom what nothing is. We live in a world created. We live in a world that screams of a designer, yet we have tried our best to try to remove any evidence of him, but all creation screams and speaks of the glory of God. All men are without excuse. You've come up with your silly, silly fantasies. You run from the laws of nature and nature's God. You, you come up with crazy ideas that enslave you. And I say you, I mean me too. I'm no better. I've told you before, I'm worse. That's why God has me here. You're welcome to take the spot if you think you can beat me. <laughs> What's good about that? As he hung there, bleeding, seven last words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do spoke to one of the thieves on the cross. The two mocked him together, but one finally realized and said to him, remember me today. When you enter paradise, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. He didn't come off the cross and need to get baptized. The Lord meant what he said and he said what he meant. Salvation is not by works. It's a gift of God received by grace through faith. There were witnesses that day that endured it None stood to stop it. They just wept. There was Mary and John 
Jesus said to John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He took care of his earthly responsibilities. With every ounce left in him, those seven last words, one being to tell us die, it is finished. What is good about this? The Romans knew how to create pain in a human being, how to bring suffering to an extent no one has ever equaled. It started the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested. He was smacked and beaten. Peter cut off the ear of Malchus. Jesus healed it, said, Peter, put away your sword. They put him in the dungeon at 6 a.m. the next day, Friday. He went through six trials. He stood before Pilate. He was sent to Herod, returned to Pilate. And throughout the course of it, he was sentenced to death. He went before the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And as he was sentenced to death, everyone took a turn beating him. Everyone had sport with the Son of God. As he said to his mother in the very first miracle at the wedding in Cana, my time has not yet come. What did he mean by his time? That I would submit to the will of man. She said, they're out of wine. She, he said, woman, what does your problem have to do with me? If I had said that to my mother, I'd be picking up my teeth with my broken arm. <laughs> but she wasn't asking him as a mother to a son. She was asking him as a creature to a creator. Fix it. God doesn't do man's bidding. He said, my time has not yet come. The time would be when he would surrender himself to be beaten like a rented mule and bloodied. From the trials and the beatings, 8 a.m. came very slowly. He was led away to Calvary. Soldiers drove stake-like nails through Jesus' wrists and ankles, fixing him to the cross. An inscription was placed over his head that read, The King of the Jews, mocking him. Jesus hung on the cross for approximately six hours until he took his final breath. While he was on the cross, soldiers cast lot for Jesus' clothing. Onlookers shouted insults and jeered. Two criminals were crucified at the same time on either side of him. At one point, Jesus spoke to Mary and to John, as I said earlier. And after the darkness covered the land, as Jesus gave up his spirit, an earthquake shook the ground and caused the temple curtain to be ripped half from the top to the bottom, separating the wall between God and man as the price had been paid to be reconciled that you could have a living relationship with the God who made you. The third hour, Jesus was crucified. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The third hour in Jewish time would have been 9 a.m. There he said, Father, forgive them. As I said earlier, the soldiers cast lots. They played the game. They took his clothing as he hung there naked to shame him and embarrass him. They hurled insults at him. People passing by shouted abuses, shaking their heads in mockery. So you can destroy the temple and build it in three days, can you? Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. He stayed there because they needed him. They didn't realize what they needed. Most men and women don't. You're whistling by the graveyard, ignoring the clock that is ticking, that you will one day stand before God and give an accounting of your life and that sin separates you. What is your remedy you have none but Jesus. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. The leading priests and teachers and religious leaders mock Jesus. He saved others, they scoff, but he can't save himself. In Luke 23, the soldiers mocked him too, offering him drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Be selfish. Take care of yourself. Look out for you. Show us how strong you are, God. He was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He endured the pain. And the reason why is selflessness. His purpose was not to save himself, but to save you and me. He was born to die. At 11 a.m., the criminal, the criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said to the other criminal, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong and then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. As I told you earlier, Jesus spoke to Mary and John to establish his earthly responsibility. At noon on that good Friday, darkness covered the land. At 1 p.m., he cried out in a loud voice with what he had left. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he thirsted. They put fluid on a sponge. What could be good about him crying out, being separated from the Father as the sins of the world were being thrust upon him and the separation broke the human heart? At 2 p.m., he cried to Telestai as they moistened his lips through his swollen tongue. A word difficult to say as the swelling had hindered his ability to speak because of the blood loss. He moistened his lips and said one word in the Greek, which is three in the English, to Telestai. It is finished, paid in full. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus cried out in that loud voice as Luke 23 points out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last to tell us, die. It is finished, paid in full. At 3 p.m. on that good Friday, the earthquake and the temple veil was torn in two. And the centurion, as he saw the earthquake and the darkness cover the land, they said the dead even rose from the graves. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. The centurion said, surely he was the son of God. The soldiers went to go break the legs of the other thieves, but Jesus was already dead. They pierced his side and what was left of any blood and fluid poured out. Why? For you and me. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. But what is good in all of this? That recounting is horrific, vile, ugly. What is good in all of this? This is the word that struck me. As I've been reading Aristotle. Eudaimonia. Happiness. Happiness. 
Stay on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. Did he sing that at the cross? No. Be happy, don't worry. Not a happiness that you and I perceive, not one of personal feeling, not one of fleshly pursuit, not one of avoidance of trial or difficult people. That's not happiness to Aristotle. That wasn't happiness to Christ. That's not happiness to God. The word never intended to mean that. Eudaimonia is deeper. The conventional English translation of the ancient Greek term happiness is unfortunate because eudaimonia as Aristotle and most other ancient philosophers understood it, does not consist of a state of mind or a feeling of pleasure or contentment as happiness. Our English language commonly implies that. It is not the meaning. For Aristotle, eudaimonia is the highest human good. Highest human good. The only human good is desirable for its own sake, as an end in itself, rather than for the sake of something else, as a means towards some other end. The design for which you were made. What is the end? What is the point? Why are you here? Why am I here? What does this all mean? Why did he die? Why did he bleed? Why was he beaten? Why do they call it good? What is Easter? What's the point? Why a church? Why a broken heart? The highest good of a thing consists of the good performance of its characteristic function. And the virtue of excellence of a thing consists of whatever traits or qualities enable it to perform that function well. Thus the virtue of excellence or a knife is whatever enables the good performance of cutting. That of an eye, whatever enables the good performance of seeing and so on. It follows that eudomonia consists of the good performance of the characteristic functions of human beings, whatever that may be. And human virtue or excellence is that combination of traits or qualities that enables humans to perform that function well. What is your function? Why are you here? What is the highest good of your life? Why did they call it Good Friday? Eudaimonia. The highest good of man. But again, how does this make Good Friday good? What was the purpose of Christ's life? What was his function? Why did the Father send him? Why was he born of a virgin? Why? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, a cross. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. His function, his purpose, he was born to die. Why? To deliver you and me. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring to us, bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive by the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. What is your purpose? For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead, or the dead and the living. John 3.16 and 17, which we always leave out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. We were already condemned. We can't get off this broken blue marble without reconciling and dealing with that which condemns us. You want another way. But there's only one. What more would you want than to have the God of all creation be born as a man and bleed and die in your place and mine? What more would you want to be reconciled, the pain of all of that? What more are you waiting for? What more would compel you? And why are you still waiting? What is it that you're holding on to? What is of greatest importance to you? Why are you here? Is it to accumulate a pile of junk before you step into eternity? Is it to taste the passing fancies of the baubles and trinkets of temporal life? It's Good Friday, but why? The highest good, eudaimonia, is to fulfill the purpose for which God made you. A cup is good, as I said earlier, if it holds liquid without leaking, as that is why it exists. Today is Good Friday because Jesus accomplished what the Father desired of him. To seek and to save the lost by dying in our place to save us from eternal death, hell. You don't want to believe in hell. The one who spoke more of hell than anyone else was Jesus because he didn't want anyone to go there. And to go there, you have to step over the cross of Christ. That symbol of the slowest death the most painful death ever invented by man that he endured to pay for your sins and mine. And it was Good Friday because he accomplished that for which he came to the earth to do. When he said to Telestai, my task is fulfilled. I did it, Father. Everything they need to be reconciled to you has been paid for if they would but receive it by faith and recognize they need salvation. But what makes eudaimonia happiness? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of Eudaimonia, happiness, not a feeling. Eudaimonia, happiness, not a selfish pursuit of pleasure, but a fulfillment of what God created you to be. You find this not in selfish pursuit, but in selflessness of sacrifice and godly service to mankind. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant of all. 
As God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. As Christ came to lay, his down, lay down his life as a ransom for the many, we too lay our lives down. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, to will and to do of his desire. My life is no longer my own. I've been purchased with the blood of Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm on this earth to reconcile man to God. I'm here to tell the other beggars where the food is. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We're all in need of a savior. My job on this earth is to make sure you come to know him through the laws of nature and nature's God that your fullest pursuit of life, your greatest happiness, that virtue, the highest good is to be what God always intended you to be, his child. Reconciled to him with a life and life more abundant, void of sin that per- permeates every portion of your being that is destroying the image for which you were created to be. That sin which enslaves you and and your inability to say no that destroys your relationships and inflames the world in war and pain and heartache. Yes, Good Friday is good because Jesus died to set us free from sin and death. And he came that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Free not unto selfishness, not unto selfish pursuit, but selfless service to mankind. This is true happiness. This is the highest good. This is why Good Friday is good. It's Good Friday because he came to die. Why? So that you could live. So I could live. Not live to our selfish pursuits, but to live for eternity, to realize we have been created to something far greater, that he's come and we might have life, and life more abundant, not only on this earth, but the one to come. To realize that there's more to this passing, broken marble, filled with vain pursuits, an empty accumulation of stupidity and worthlessness. Piling up treasures that you'll not get to take with you, And instead of living for that, you live for others. That they would come to know that truth, that that truth too would set them free. Our founders so wise in their pursuit of establishing a government to point people to God, understood that life is critical. And then liberty, doing what's right. And then the pursuit of not happiness as we define it, but as Aristotle did, the fulfillment of your highest good. Good Friday is good because Christ served you and me unto death. While we were yet enemies, he loved us. His kindness led us to repentance, to change. It's afforded to all mankind. Nothing stands in the way of, of this gift of salvation but your own pride. Your commitment to holding on to this fantasy that somehow... There's more to this fallen world. There's just something around the corner that will fulfill you. And every pursuit leads to vain emptiness. And God says to you today, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is a good Friday because today you come to know who you are and why you're here. Today you become my child, reconciled to your father who has loved you 
Before you were born, he knew you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb, and he has pursued you with an everlasting love, and he will not give up until you breathe your last breath on this earth. And he is a hound from heaven. And he loves you so much he won't give up. But today, by his spirit, you were drawn here. You thought you were cajoled by a loved one or a neighbor. But suffice it to say, the spirit of the living God brought you. Your heart is pounding. You're nervous. I was in your seat. I know what you feel. Give it up. <laughs> Life awaits you. What you were always intended to be awaits you. The highest virtue, that happiness of selfless service. It's yours. But it comes at the cross. The cross that established that ability to be reconciled to the Father because it's good because Jesus came to die. His body, the bread, was broken. His blood, the cup, was shed for the remission of your sins. Every drop poured out to reconcile you to the Father, to pay the penalty of your sin. I was just on Charlie Kirk's radio program. It was at 9.30. I got a call at 9.15. I was not in proper clothing. I rushed over and he said, Rob, can you explain why blood had to be shed? Why sin? Many of you have heard it, but some haven't, so bear with me. Bullseye, arrow. Archers call it the sin distance. How far are you fallen from perfection? Every religion in the world is people trying to hit the bullseye. You never will because you'll never be able to do it. You're not perfect. If you think you are or you think you can obtain it, show me one person on the face of the earth through all 6,000 years of recorded history that can justify the position you've held. Good luck with that. Christianity, unlike every religion in the world, is the Lord takes his righteousness, Jesus Christ, and moves the bullseye to where your arrow is and puts his righteousness on your account, pays the price, paid in full, to tell us die, it is finished. That is why it's Good Friday. Yeah. It cost him the most horrific pain ever devised by man. But for you, it's a gift of grace. Salvation by grace through faith. You take it at the understanding of what you've heard. You let it go from your brain to your heart. And you say, save me, God. Thank you for dying for me, for paying that price. Now make me who I've always been intended to be, that I would know the fullness of happiness. Eudaimonia. God, I want to be your child. I want to be reconciled to my father who's good. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being beaten and bleeding and having me on your mind and your heart as you walked the Via Dolorosa. You endured the shame and the pain and you had me on your mind. Be thankful. And when you receive him, I can tell you right now, There's nothing I've ever given up for Christ that was even remotely worth anything I've received. What a good God he is. The only thing I gave him was my sin. And he gave me life. 
That is the best deal I've ever received. And the thing that hindered me from accepting it was my pride. And I realized pride was just killing me. He gave me humility, which the world despised, and it's been the greatest gift I've ever possessed because it's brought me into the court of kings and the most precious people I've ever met. And the room's filled with quite a few of them. What a gift. I have a family. I have an earthly family. But these are the ones I want to spend Thanksgiving with right here. My wife and I love all of you. He did that. And all it required was me to surrender my pride. So we're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to do it together today. Now these are tricky. You're going to spill on yourself. So you got to do it wisely. <laughs> I remember seeing, I can tell the story where they're walking up. Monty Python, he says, son, this is the chalice that's been handed down from generation to generation. But the one thing you must remember is always drink from this side, never from this. He says, why, Father? He says, well, because when you do this, it goes down your shirt. Yeah, you didn't get it. It's all right. We'll open this one first and we'll wait for the cup, okay? That's my point. Let's open the bread. Hold this in your hand with me. Father, we thank you for communion representative of the Passover. The Jews who were slaves were now free because of the Passover lamb, the blood that was shed, you gave your firstborn that we might live. And today is Jewish men and women around the world celebrate that freedom and recognize that Passover waiting for a savior, a Messiah who has come, which is you, Jesus. We too recognize this longest running meal in family history we recognize the freedom that comes as we're delivered from the slave block of sin, that we would know the fullness of life that you've always intended for us. This is why it's Good Friday, because you did what you were called to do so that we could be who we've been called to be. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body broken for us. And as we take this, we do it in remembrance of you, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead and play. And the cup. Open carefully. Jesus said on the last supper, as they celebrated Passover together he, together, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of your sins. Every drop would be poured out within hours. The brutality of what you witnessed and the turning of those slides, he endured and he lived, that he would die that you might live. Nails didn't hold him to the cross. His love for you did until every drop was poured out even as they pierced his side. And it's his blood that cleanses you from all sin, past, present, and future. He moved the bullseye to where you are. It's Good Friday. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. Let's take. Lord, we thank you for this time of communion and for this, as we now know, and say with absolute confidence, good Friday, you are a good savior and you accomplished that for which the father desired. And today, 
We long that our lives would be of true happiness. Servants of the Most High God and children of the King. You've come that we might have life and life more abundant. And on that good Friday, that joy began. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In our Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship this mighty Savior. Happy Good Friday, everybody. God bless you.